Timothy and chapter 4 as we work our way through this letter. Smiling to myself because yesterday somebody asked me, not from our church, what I was preaching on. And I said, First Timothy. And they said, Why? <laughs> so, why First Timothy? And I thought, It's in the Word of God, and it is the Word of God. So, uh, we are working our way through this portion of the Word of God. We believe in our church that we are to believe and teach and preach the whole counsel of God in Scripture. And this is just a small portion of that, but it's God's Word. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what is something you work hard at and practice every day? Two, can someone else practice your skill like a sport or instrument for you? Three, what is the most important thing to train for every day? And four, what things are used for that kind of training? We're actually going to begin reading in verse 6. First Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6, this is the word of God. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. There ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Lord our God, we do thank you for your holy word. And we know that you have spoken to us. And that we will hear from you, Lord, if we tune our ears. And so, Lord, please give us ears to hear and hearts to receive from you this morning. And so we ask that as we move from that which you have already said to us through your word, to the preaching of your word through your preacher this morning. We pray that you would bless the preaching of your word and send your Holy Spirit that your word might go forth with power through the minister of the Spirit. We ask that you would prepare all of our hearts to ultimately hear from you and apply the things that we're called to apply from your word today. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul has been informing Timothy on the way that he's supposed to manage the church, oversee the church, direct the church in the city of Ephesus. And so we're given a look into the training of what we might call one of Paul's disciples, but both of them are actually Jesus' disciples. Paul being an apostle and Timothy being a disciple or a follower of Christ who's given authority in the church. But the letter is not just for Timothy. It's for any church leader 
to look at. It's also for any of us who are willing to put ourselves under the authority of God's word and be trained by the instruction of scripture. It's for each one of us. And so we do it this way. We look at what Timothy's told. We see how it applies to the leadership, how it applies to church, and we see how it applies to ourselves. The theme this morning is train well in the faith. Train well in the faith. If you want to achieve anything in this life, you have to train for it, whatever it might be. Paul is telling us that the number one thing that we need to train for in this life above everything else is godliness in our faith, to train ourselves well. Train ourselves well in the faith. If we want to excel in the faith that we cherish. Start with two things. First of all, we need to consider our spiritual condition. Spiritual condition. That's the number one priority. I trust that, that most, if not all of you, I don't know, have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. But your spiritual condition, your standing before God, the state of your soul is and should be your number one concern. I'll just put it briefly. What good is it if you gain the whole world, if you achieve all these worldly things, and then in the end, lose your soul? What a tragedy. What an everlasting tragedy that would be. And so that's our spiritual condition. But the focus here is our spiritual conditioning, our growth in the faith that that we have, our strength in the faith that we have. And in our lives, if we want to be productive, if we want to be effective for the Lord, if we want to be strong in the Lord, healthy in the Lord, endure in our faith, we have to train ourselves well in our faith, spiritual conditioning. It's a need to be in continual training mode, like an athlete in a gym. In fact, the word that Paul uses for training is the word from which we get our word gym, and I won't go through the way all that comes down to us, but the idea is this this regular training that athletics do. There's no slacking off, there's no letting up, there's no off-season. There may be an off-season for athletes, but there's not an off-season for Christians, constantly diligent in our spiritual growth. Now, I'm no expert by any stretch on physical training, on physical training, I'm supposed to be something of an expert on spiritual training, but I'm not going to say that I'm that either. But I do know something about both. And I do know that with physical training, it's very, very important to build up your core, to build up kind of that central thing of your being, so your body, so that you have that physical strength and balance that makes the rest of the things you exercise more productive. And so you need to do those things, much as you might not like it, much as you might not like physical exercise, you have to build up your core, your abdomen, your stomach muscles, your back muscles, so that you can endure and be strengthened. In the same way, in the spiritual realm, in spiritual training, the very core of our being needs to be strengthened. And no matter how you look at it, whether you think about it as your mind or your heart, or your soul, it's your your inner being, as scripture uses in one place. Your inner being needs to be strengthened. And so what Paul is getting at is we need to strengthen our inner being with the things that God has given us to strengthen ourselves with. 
And Paul exhorts the reader by contrast and by comparison. He contrasts physical exercise with spiritual exercise. He says that physical exercise has its purpose, is good. Whether, again, we like it or not, if we don't physically exercise, we're going to be softer and weaker. Uh, In the same way, in spiritual fitness, if we don't exercise ourselves, we're going to be softer and weaker. And so we want to make sure, and Paul wants to make sure, that Timothy makes sure that there's not a bunch of spiritual wimps, weaklings in the congregations in Ephesus. He wants them to be well-trained and strengthened. Now, keep in mind that Timothy here is the trainer. He's the instructor. And so it's first and foremost important for Timothy to make sure that he's in good spiritual conditioning. I can't help but think of how many times I've seen coaches coaching teams who are terribly out of shape. Now, they might be good coaches. They might be able to coach the team well, but that visual, that visual really does sort of lend itself to a lack of credibility. I look at it and think, how can he be telling those guys to hit the dirt and to run and whatever it might be? And so Timothy has to make sure that he's strong and the leadership has to make sure that they're strong and they're regularly exercising their faith and their strength. And we'll get to the means of that in a little while. But one of the basic things of good training, of good fitness, is what we take into our bodies. Nutrition, you might say. Basic rule of good discipline is to eliminate the extraneous things that do us no good anyway or might do us harm and feed ourselves with good nutrition to strengthen our bodies. The same is true in the spiritual realm. Think about it. People who are serious about physical training know that their intake of food and drink will either hinder or enhance their endurance, their performance. And so they get rid of the junk. And so one of the first things that Paul points to is the junk. Now, we've already dealt some with the kind of junk that was being thrown at the Christians in the early church, so I'm not going to elaborate on it a lot today. We'll get back to it as we move forward in Timothy. We've dealt with the importance of strengthening with the word, the meat of the word. We've talked about getting rid of those ridiculous things that were being taught and to put on the truth and strengthen the truth. But there were preposterous things then, and I'll just highlight uh, some of the way it went. There were religious things that in the circles of, of the Christian church in that day that were being spun, yarns being spun to engage and to intrigue people. But it was ultimately distracting from the heart of the gospel and scripture itself. And so that stuff has to be gotten rid of. People were embellishing the truth of the Bible as if the truth itself weren't good enough, as if they had to add some kind of man-made thing to make it better. They'd make these lavish connections to these genealogies recorded in Scripture with all kinds of fanciful things connected to them. People would make predictions about things that were supposed to happen. they tried to come up with things, again, to make things almost more titillating, more interesting, somehow beyond the power of the Word of God, some of those things would turn into superstition that would be on par with true religion in people's minds. And that is dangerous. 
Paul uses a term here that might be politically a little incorrect behind his word of these myths. Actually, the word before that is this idea of old wives' tales. These yarns that these these women who didn't have enough to do would make up stories and spin them. I'm not going there. I'll let Paul go there. But you get the idea. It's the stuff that's, that's embellished. It's not true. And so the serious Christian has to make sure that he's not imbibing in that kind of stuff. But there weren't just preposterous things then. There was preposterous things now. Lots of it. Lots of it. Novel takes on the truth. Fluff. It doesn't add anything, in fact, takes away. Popular fluff found in some of the most popular authors in the evangelical world. Shows filled with fluff. Ministries filled with fluff. I don't spend my time reading the fluff, so I can't speak with authority on their errors, but I know a lot of their errors. And I will say that there's one probably the most well-known so-called evangelical minister in our country who has tons of books, who is a heretic in the fluffiest sense you would ever imagine, who he himself says that he is not a gospel preacher, but a power of positive thinking kind of person. And yet so many evangelicals are sucking this stuff in and absorbing it, and it's fluff, and it's a waste of time, and it can be damaging. Books and things by people who aren't even Christians themselves, bad theology at the best. Think of creative thinking. Creative thinking can be good. Telling Bible stories in good ways can be good, but to spin new things into Bible stories is bad. Shouldn't be doing that. Putting words in Jesus' mouth, putting words in God's mouth. I have concerns over things that over-elaborate and add to what's in the Bible. Taking us away from that core interest in the authority of Scripture itself and somehow needing to package it in a way to make it more appealing to curious minds. Even within sound circles, there's sometimes too much spin kind of these unique novel ways of approaching things. Lately, I've, I've thought to myself, I, I just long to be in fellowship with regular Christian people, and I am, who believe the Bible, who live a normal Christian life, who don't have all these quirky little things that, that they emphasize and all these quirky little fluffy things that they want to add to their lives or all these nuances of strange doctrines, just regular, normal Christians who love Jesus and who love his Bible and who can love Reformed theology too. But the bottom line is we we mustn't fill our minds and our souls with garbage. With garbage. And strengthen ourselves with spiritual nutrition, consuming the word. I can tell you that you cannot overindulge in consuming the word. If you're a glutton for the word of God, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. 
Those fluffy things distract from the solid promises offered in Scripture. And it takes our eyes off of our focus. And that's the next thing is the focus. We have to have a reason for what we're doing. The focus is our hope. That's what he says in verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive. This is strengthening. This is endurance. This is exercising. This is training. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. The reason that we strive, the reason that we pursue the faith is because we have the hope. And hope in Scripture always remembers this isn't something that we kind of think might happen or something that that we are kind of trusting might come to pass. Our hope is sure. It's something accomplished, and God has accomplished our salvation. God is our Savior. And so we pursue the Christian life not so that he becomes our Savior and our God. He is our Savior and our God. And so we're compelled to pursue the Christian life, our God and our Savior, through Jesus Christ. He's gone before us. He's made the way for us. And and we need to have a focus. Where is our life going? What is our life about now? Is your focus on that hope that's sure for you in God and through his work in Jesus Christ? That should be an inspiration for you. If you want to jump over to Hebrews, if you want to jump over to Hebrews chapter 12, very familiar passage here. But what's the hope that's set before us? It's that our salvation has been accomplished and that we're headed somewhere and that somewhere is to be with our Lord and Savior. If you remember Hebrews 11, there's so many examples of what faith looked like and how it allowed the people who trusted in God to endure that hope set before them of something permanent and something everlasting. And then here in chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God our focus is on Jesus who's gone before us and that clears the path for us as we move forward to remember that this life now remember he said This training is good for life now and forever. The path is made clear for us to pursue our faith with vigor. It takes this exercising, that that hope that's set before us, our motivation. God has saved us through Christ. But our motivation, again, isn't to win his favor. It's because he's shown us his favor. We want to please and honor him. Many of us are very familiar with The first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, I haven't read it here for some time. Almost always in this church, I will read it at a funeral because it's requested. And whenever I read it at a funeral, knowing that most often it's a mixed crowd of true solid believers and unbelievers, I always always qualify and I say to the people, if you can testify to this, then recite it out loud. 
If you cannot testify to this, then think about your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, the first part has to do with the fact that through Christ we belong to God. And if, if you can testify to that, you should testify boldly. But the second part, the last line, has to do with what that looks like in life. And I'm usually thinking about the first one. If you're not saved, don't answer. But what I need to remember is it also calls for a life of faith, a life of endurance. And so I need to recognize that this is also a call to not just say that we believe in Jesus, but that we live for Jesus. So let me read it for you. You know the question. Maybe you don't know the question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong with body, soul, body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and here it is, makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. And if we're going to live for him, we want to live diligently for him, and that requires this training that we've been talking about. Now, focus is a good thing. But if we only have focus and not action, that's no good. If you don't have any focus, it's, it's just a bad thing. Sometimes if I'm, I'm at the gym, I'll not be minding my own business like I should be, and I'll watch people, and sometimes I'll see someone who's just kind of wandering around the gym. It's more of a, a social club. They're not to work out, and they'll walk around and talk to this person and talk to that person, and they'll go sit down on a machine and get on their phone, maybe do a couple things and get up and walk around. No focus. That's a bad thing. You're not going to get any strength that way but there are also these machines where you can be on the machine and you can see on the monitor while your feet are supposed to be moving you can see these trails or or roads that you're supposed to be riding on but if you just stand there and watch the monitor you might have a focus you might have this vision of what you would like to be doing but you're not benefiting at all because you're not in action saw this thing where you're supposed to exercise in the mirror and it gives you back what you're doing and I came up with a better one you sit in your your lounge chair and you watch the person in the mirror do the exercise for you but you get the ridiculous of that right my point is that you are to be active not just have a vision our spiritual health requires action and so finally getting to this training for godliness just like with sports or just like with athletics or just like with music or many other things crafts whatever it might be you have to train want to be a good runner you've got to train want to be a good baseball player train 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 whatever it might be if you're a musician a friend who was a concert pianist very well accomplished he practiced i think four to six hours a day That sounds crazy to me, but that was his passion, and that was his call. It might have even been more. 
And so any of these disciplines, swimming, whatever it might be, you need to practice. Well, here, when it comes to spiritual health, practice, practice, practice. It's got to be your discipline. You've got to push yourself and stretch yourself. If you do the same old reps, there is value to that. But if you're trying to build strength, you've got to, you've got to add weight, so to speak. Build up your strength. Build up your strength. Push, stretch yourself, and then apply. These things have value now and forever. What are those things? What are those things? I'm always struck by the fact that Jesus, who certainly didn't need grace, thoroughly exercised himself in the means of grace. Think about that for a second. Jesus, who didn't need grace, he needed to grow in the grace, he needed to grow, right? He needed to grow in stature, wisdom. But he didn't need grace, and yet he would immerse himself in what we call the means of grace, immerse himself in the word. You remember when the devil tempted him, his response was through the word of God. Jesus immersed himself in prayer. Jesus made sure that he had those things in place during his earthly ministry. Jesus made sure that he was in worship. Jesus made sure that he was in regular fellowship, you might say, with the people around him. That might sound odd to us. Why does Jesus need fellowship? That's a means of grace that God has given us. That always strikes me that Jesus pursued those things. And it, and it does make me wonder to myself if Jesus so much depended upon those things in his worldly ministry, how much more to does weak little me need to have those exercises in my life, just like you do? Value for this life and forever. For this life, stability and strength and endurance there's no easing back. There's no laying back. There's constant moving forward in strengthening. And then there's the heavenly reward, that we would finish our race well. And that when we receive that crown of victory, that we throw it down at Jesus' feet. But we receive that reward, finishing the race run well having been diligent, having been inspired, having that motivation, having been fed with that spiritual nutrition, having that focus, that reason, that hope set before us, putting into practice the things that God has told us to put into practice. Well, here Timothy is to inspire others to that end. Paul's inspiring Timothy, Timothy inspiring others, the leadership inspiring the congregation. We need to be inspired. And trainers can try all they want to inspire someone to do something, but if they don't pick up on it and do it on their own, there's not going to be any advance. And so we all need to make sure that we're being diligent and vigilant in our pursuit of of our spiritual growth, our spiritual conditioning, 
our training in the word, in prayer, fellowship, service, and all those things that God has given us. So let's make sure that we're taking advantage of the means of grace that God's given to us. And let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you that by your grace that you have changed our spiritual condition that by nature having been children of wrath being dead in our trespasses and sins being entirely weak and helpless to save ourselves you have saved us through the power of christ you've changed our spiritual condition Lord, help us to remember how foolish it is to try to gain the world at the expense of our own souls. Lord, as you've given us this grace in our lives, as you've given us this wonderful salvation, we pray that we would be all the more diligent in pursuing the means of grace that you've given to us for our spiritual health and strength. That we might press forward with spiritual vigor when we're young help us to place those disciplines in our lives that we would build patterns for years to come of spiritual strengthening and endurance but even if we're at the other end of life where our bodies are becoming weaker and frail nonetheless lord we pray that as you are bringing your saints from strength to strength that you would help us to still pursue those things that are so meaningful and so effective for our spiritual lives now and certainly have bearing on our eternity with you. We come to you in the name of the one who has gone before us, our Savior, Savior Jesus Christ, our Savior, our hope, 